Man, I just want to start today by saying, I, you know, I love my church. I love you guys, how you serve, how you sacrifice. It's, a, it's incredible. You know, this weekend we had the event yesterday, the, the Wild Game Expo. And, uh, you know, there's a handful of people that have been working months to make that happen. Some of our staff, Ronnie West, Debbie Hewerman, Bonnie Hudgens, Andy Huff, uh, been working such a long time to bring that about. Of course, there's some volunteers, some key volunteers also, Jeff Oakley, uh, uh, Dave Poteet, uh, Morris Hudgens that, that did so much work. So there, there's, the, there's the team that kind of helps give us that opportunity. But then as we get to this week, there was just hundreds of people that, that, that did set up and, and worked and served to make that happen. And we just had a, a phenomenal event yesterday. Man, when you came up here, if you did, you saw and it, just the whole setup, everything that happened. We had, uh, I, I actually thought there was about 12 to 1500. That's what I wrote on Facebook. Um, but the porta potty guy tells me there was two thousand. Now we didn't have porta potties, uh, but but there was one of our vendors here has a company that does that. He says, you know, it's my job to measure crowds to to know foot traffic, and uh, of course it, it was an all day event. I mean, it started at twelve and we finished at nine last night, so there was people coming and going throughout the day. And the porta potty guy says there was two thousand here, so uh, I'm going to take his word. Who's going to argue with that? Okay, <laughs> but uh, it was just such a phenomenal day, and 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 uh, just the opportunity, all that different ways people serve, use their gifts and abilities so that God is exalted, God is seen. Maybe people come to Christ and end up becoming a, a part of his church. But I, I tell you, all that you think, okay, now that's the big thing to be impressed by. Now, I may be the only one for whom this happened, but I, I think when I just went right over the top in love with the people of our church, this morning, I, I walk in the door over here at, at 7 a.m., and it was spotless. I, I mean, folks, you had to see the concourse. This room last night at 9 o'clock was set up with round tables and chairs. We had dinner in here last night. Oh, over 500 people. And, uh, and it, it smelled so nice this morning. Now, I'm not saying that a Wild Game Expo smells bad. I'm just saying there's a smell to that. You know what I'm talking about? There, there's a smell that goes with that. And it was just, I walked this morning, it was just unbelievable. And Ronnie told me we had about 40 people last night. A lot of them weren't even a part of yesterday. What? What in their cup of tea? That's not what they do. But they came, they got here at 8.30 last night just so they could be here for, for tearing everything down, rebuilding and setting up. So that what? So that you and I could walk in here and sit down and have worship this morning. I just, I appreciate y'all. Thank you for what you do so that we have the opportunities we have. We can do the things that we do. It's just, it's just incredible sometimes to... Just smell how good it is. So, uh, hey, yeah, we're talking. If you saw on the front of your bulletin, you just saw the introduction there. We're, we're starting a series on symbols. Symbols are such a big part of life. They're an everyday part of life. I don't know that you're dealing with a symbol every minute, but you're dealing with one every single day. We have symbols that are fun and important and a warning and direct us, all kinds of things. Symbols that are fun. I mean, you think about it. We put on a ball cap or we put on a jersey and we had up to the to the ballpark and all of a sudden we got a family of 80,000 right 
I mean, this is my family. I mean, you know, everybody with the same stuff on, you feel this connection with them. You feel this, this bond. I mean, it's fun. I mean, hey, driving down I-95, I see a, a, a Bronco symbol and I want to pull up to a man. I want to talk to somebody. I wouldn't do that in Colorado because it's a little bit more common. But when you see Bronco gear on I-95, you got to connect with that person, right? I know y'all feel the same way about the Broncos. Now, come on. Yeah, so I mean, we got symbols that they're just fun. Not a whole lot of meaning, but they're just fun in our lives. And, and we've got symbols that are warnings, right? You got the little symbol that says don't dive in right here. Uh, you got symbol, street gangs use symbols. This is where our territory begins and where you better stop, right? We, we've got symbols that identify us. As a matter of fact, that's a really a big part of symbols is for groups. They identify. I can wear a, a, a shirt with a company logo. I can wear a, sh- a shirt with our church on it. And anybody sees that, they may not know exactly what my connection is, but they know I'm connected, right? Tell, tells everybody that, that that's who you belong to. That's who you're connected to. A wedding ring is a symbol. The, the wedding ring, does, I'm still married. I can take it off. I'm still married, but it's a, it's a symbol. It's a sign. It tells you I belong to marriage. I belong to somebody. So we got symbols that do that. And well, we've got some symbols that kind of really rise above all other symbols in their power. How about the United States flag? You know, you think about a, a, a symbol and you can take a flag and it's a good way to understand the symbol itself. I mean, what is a flag? It's a piece of cloth, right? Piece of cloth with some colors on it, really no value. I don't know what it costs to make a flag, probably a couple of dollars. I mean, it's not worth much, and yet we would die for it, right? People do. Soldiers have. We protect this. We fight this. We, we seek to advance. What, a piece of cloth? No. You know, nobody thinks that we're doing that for a piece of cloth. No, it's what it represents. It's, it's freedom. It's democracy. It's our, it's our land. It's each other. It's our people, And I mean, think about, you talk about symbols that just rise above others. We have rules for how to take care of this symbol, don't we? There's rules for how to take care of it, how to display it. And when it comes time, there's rules for how we discard it. So, you know, the American flag is a little bit of a unique symbol. And man, there's a lot we do in how we handle that particular symbol. And of course, it connects us as a people. We all come up under the flag. We're a group. A lot of symbols are about a group, right? They identify, this is who I am. This is who I belong to. You can have some symbols that are personal. You know, I've I've got a Bible in my office that I received when I was ordained into the ministry. So for me, that Bible, I mean, if you walked in, you'd say, well, that's a Bible. But see, for me, it's a symbol. It's a symbol of my call into ministry, the call to preach. It's a symbol, a reminder of that day that that I was ordained. And so for me, it's a symbol just for me. So we have symbols like that, that, that sentimentality, I guess you would call it. But a lot of symbols are really about the group. It's about belonging. It says, hey, I'm an American. Or uh, take a symbol like this, the cross, right? You see a, a, a building adorned with a cross. You see a person with a piece of jewelry of the cross. And we, we immediately assume they're, they're a Christian. They belong to that group. The, the, the cross, like a flag, ha, has become one of those symbols that is known throughout the world. It's, it's known throughout history, which is interesting because the Bible doesn't actually direct us to make the cross a symbol. 
Now, I'm not saying that we did something wrong by making it a symbol. We didn't do that at all. When you look at the centrality of the cross to the New Testament, it makes all the sense in the world that it kind of evolved into this symbol. But I would imagine at first, especially in the Roman Empire, it was a little bit weird. I mean, can you imagine if you'd have pulled up to our our church today and there was a noose out front? What would you have done? Call the police? I mean, somebody's hung a noose out in front of the church. Or maybe you just saw the news, just turn around. I don't know what they're doing here today, but we ain't going to be a part of it. You know, I mean, I'm out of here. You know, or could you imagine you get to work tomorrow and somebody's got on nice, nice gold chain, nice costly gold chain and hanging from it, a little thing there. What, what is it? Oh, it's a little electric chair. It's a cute little charm, isn't it? What, what, what would you do if you saw somebody that had an electric chair hanging from their neck? I'm guessing you'd think you're... You're weird. And you'd probably back away from them a little bit, wouldn't you? I don't want to sit next to you at work. You're just weirdo. Right? Well, you know, that's how a first century person in the Roman Empire would have looked at a cross. It wasn't a neat symbol of faith. It was an instrument of execution used by the Roman government. The same way that you and I would look at and understand an electric chair or, or, or a noose. And so, yeah, probably a little bit odd, but obviously that awkwardness or that oddness got passed. And by the, by the second and third century, man, clearly the cross is becoming the symbol. But, but I say that the New Testament doesn't direct us to make it a symbol for a reason. If the New Testament didn't direct us to make that a symbol, then maybe we should scratch our head and go, hmm, did the New Testament direct us to any symbols? Were there supposed to be some symbols? And folks, the answer is absolutely yes. The New Testament, Jesus gave us two symbols that were to be so profound, so meaningful that when we saw them, when we partook in them, they would literally move us to be bonded in love with God and with all those who partake of that symbol. Folks, we are the baptized ones. We are those who share in the Lord's table. Like I said, folks, I would be driving down 95 and I would, I would swerve, I would honk, I would do whatever I can to get up that car. Why? Because it had an Aggie symbol on it. Hey man, I'm, I'm an Aggie, class of 87. Woo! Folks, that same thing, and you may say that's weird and I'm not like that. Okay, but if you can understand those of us who are like that, that same way that I might interact with somebody who who has an Aggie symbol on their car on I-95. Again, I wouldn't need to do that so much in Texas because a lot of Texas has an Aggie symbol on their car. But on I-95, see, I want to connect with that person. I want to say, hey, I'm, I'm one too. Folks, when you and I are seeing and partaking in things like baptism and the Lord's Supper, it's to have the exact same kind of energy, the exact same kind of, of excitement. Hey man, I'm a, I'm a baptized one too. It's something that connects us. Because life is better connected. Jesus has given us some symbols for that very purpose. That identify us and that, that connect us together. So this next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about that a little bit. It's a short series. I've never done a, a, a series on ordinances. As a matter of fact, you, you might have woke up this morning and said, you know, I feel like what I really need in my life, I, 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 need, I need God. I need to get close to God. And if somebody could just talk to me about sacraments and ordinances, I'm sure that would do it. 
Well, if you woke up thinking that, you're about to have the day of your life. Now, I'm guessing probably not a whole lot of people woke up thinking, boy, I'd really like to talk about sacraments and ordinances today. But I hope what you're going to see today and really as we travel through this, why we don't throw these words out a lot or use them a lot, you're going to, I think you're going to find out today how central it is to your life and to your faith. And while we don't use the words, there's some ideas here that you and I need to use every single day inside our heart and life and and in the way we look at and embrace each other. So today we're going to understand some words and and some ideas and and how those kind of play out. We're going to see again that it started off being sacrament and then some of us in the church began to use the word ordinance. We'll understand a little bit why that happened. Uh, And then we'll take a week and we'll look at baptism next week in particular. And the following week we'll look at Lord's Supper, which will be Palm Sunday. Can you believe believe Palm Sunday's right around the corner, man. Easter's getting here early uh, this year in March, but on Palm Sunday, we're going to look at Lord's Supper. We'll be sharing in the Lord's Supper, so we'll have a neat, neat opportunity uh, there with that. So today, we'll get started with a, a definition of sacrament. I just can't think of a more exciting thing to say as I preach a sermon is, today, we're going to look at a definition of sacrament. I know that just got to thrill you right now, but uh, hey, it's how we're going to get where we're going. It's how we're going to get started. So I'm going to start with sacrament. The sermon titled ordinances but I'm starting with sacrament because the word sacrament is the more used word throughout the church today and it's the more used word throughout church history we started off neither sacrament or ordinance is a word you'll find in the bible okay I'm gonna go home and look this up today and study it a little bit you won't find either word in the bible there there are words that the church uses to describe these two things, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And I say two things. Some churches have more. We got some denominations that have three or four. If there's a race to have the most, I just tell you the Catholics won. They've got seven. They have, they have seven sacraments. They, two Lord's Supper and baptism, they add things like I'm sure you've heard of confession, going to confession, that, that would be a sacrament or last rites, you know, that, that prayer over you before you die. Uh, and, and so they've got seven of these things called sacraments. So what is a sacrament? Well, it's original starting definition. And the reason I say original and starting is because we're going to end up with a divide over where the definition ends up. But where it starts is something that is an an event, in a moment, something that is holy. It is set aside as special, as sacred. Now, when you think about coming to church today, I mean, we have a tendency to, you know, when we enter church, we think we're kind of entering a holy place, right? And, and, and a lot of our activity in here, uh, you know, the music is, is holy. We even call it sacred music or our conversations, right? Our conversations are holy today. Okay, not getting a ton of agreement there, but anyway, that's the idea. Anyway, the sermon, the pastor, he's certainly holy, right? We know that guy's got it. Okay, we're not helping me here much at all today. Come on, man. So we enter this place, and yet with all of these holy things or holy ideas, whether we're pretending or hoping or it is, yet even in the, in an environment like this, A sacrament, the word holy means to be set apart, not like everything else. And so even in a room or in a place where we hope there's a lot of holy things happening, a sacrament would be something even set apart above that. In all that we do, baptism, 
Lord's Supper, these would be events, right? That we would say, man, they're, they're even a step up above beyond that. They're set apart. You know what, folks? That's the idea of Sunday. Sunday's to be a holy day. What's it mean? It's not, like to, be, it's not to be like the other six. I mean, it's, it's, we don't do all of the exact same things. It's not the same rut and routine of, of Monday through Saturday. It's to be set apart. It's to be unique. It's to be different. So that's what a sacrament is. That's what it means. You know, here's something interesting. There's a second, and it sounds like unrelated meaning, but a second meaning of sacrament is a sacrament is an oath of allegiance that a, that a high-ranking officer gives to soldiers below him. They, they give a sacrament. They give this oath of allegiance. And I got to thinking, don't both meanings actually have some play here? I mean, when you and I are seeing, when we are partaking in the sacrament, we're, we're partaking of this holy event, this holy moment. Man, when we leave that, shouldn't we have a greater sense of obedience? A renewed sense of commitment to our commander, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I like that. Both, both words kind of play there. Both words kind of have a meaning. Now, so that's what the word means. That's how it started. And then, of course, it, it becomes this church word that we're using. And a guy named Augustine. Not a name you throw around a lot or a guy you think about a lot. He's actually probably one of the greatest minds for Jesus Christ that's ever walked on the earth. Some would consider Augustine. He's a 5th century theologian, probably one of the greatest Christian thinkers after the Apostle Paul. So the dude just really gave his brain to Jesus Christ and Jesus used it. I, I've given mine to Jesus. I don't know that he's using it all the time, at least not like Augustine anyway, right? But Augustine described, he defined a sacrament this way. He said, it's an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual reality. Now, folks, that is, that is an excellent working definition, and it really is it's where we're going today. Just the idea of inner reality is going to really kind of shape what we understand we're doing and, and why even the divide between sacrament and ordinance. So let me say it again. It's an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual reality. So on the outside, I'm getting into water. There's nothing special about the water. The water doesn't do anything to me. There's, there's nothing unique about the building materials up there were the same as the building materials everywhere else. The water comes out of the same faucet that, that, that feeds all the other things, all the other water faucets in our in our church so there's nothing special but when you step into that water on the outside nothing unique but on the inside something powerful is real and now the outward begins to communicate that because what we're picturing in that is here's a person who has died They've died to themselves. They've died to sin. Remember back in January, we talked about how we need to be born again. Spiritually, we're dead. So in, in what, what's happened is we finally catch up to our death. And we, 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 we die to ourselves. We die to sin. We're laying now in this watery grave. And then up from the grave, we arose. Man, we are resurrected in the person of Jesus Christ. We have a new life in Jesus. Now, the water did not do that. That spot did not do that. It was already true when I got in there. It was true that moment that I came to faith in Jesus Christ. That was the moment that I died and Jesus began to live in me a new life. Okay? So I go into the waters of baptism 
to give an outward display, an outward sign of an inner reality. Same is true when we come to the, to the Lord's table. I mean, you think about the outward act of just putting something in my mouth. Isn't that a picture of the inner reality of total faith? Do you put something in your mouth you think might be poisonous? I think this might be rat poison. Let me see what it tastes like. No, when I put something in my mouth, it's because I trust that it's okay. I trust that it won't harm me. So just the act of eating at the Lord's table is an act. What am I expressing? The inner reality of my total faith. My total faith in what? Bread and juice? You think about, you know, again, water, very common, bread and juice, very common daily items that we eat and drink. They're not expensive. They're not special. They're just the daily stuff. But our total faith isn't in bread and juice, is it? No, it's an outward symbol of what they represent. The broken body and the spilled blood. The act of coming to the table is remembering, I have, we have placed a total faith in the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus Christ to make me holy, to make me right before God, to give me a new life, eternal life, a life forgiven of all its sin, a total faith in that. So the, the concept here, the big thing here is the inner reality. And what Jesus teaches is that if you and I are taking on outward symbols where there is not an inner reality, then what we do moves from being holy and special to actually being offensive to God, and that should rattle some cages. You know, I, I, I think there's two kinds of ways we do God in the world, in the, in, the, in the Christian world. We have Christianity, and then we have churchianity. Way too many people actually follow churchianity. You know, where I, 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 you know, I haven't had a real good week. I've been kind of bad and I've got some important things coming up this week. So I need to go up and get right with God. So I'm, you know, I walk in the building and I sit here and I'm a little more right with God, right? And if I get to take Lord's Supper, I'm a little bit more right. See, we start trusting in the outward symbol, but nothing's happening inside. I, I didn't come up here to have anything inside changed. I came up here to just do some stuff on the outside and hopefully God sees that and he feels good about me and I can feel good about him and we can be okay. See, we just, we put our faith in the outward instead of the inner. This is actually a human tendency because it's easier. And Jesus addresses this with the Pharisees and this is where he says, hey, listen, if you're doing outward things and there's no inner reality, that's offensive to God. He says it this way, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? That's not a term of endearment. He's basically saying your life's a lie. Your life is a lie. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips while their hearts, see, here's something going on on the outside. Yay, Jesus, I love Jesus. We're singing songs about Jesus. But on the inside, the heart is actually very far. The heart's in no relationship with Christ. The heart has no desire for Christ. The heart's desire is for the world and the ways of the world and the ways of myself. The heart's far from me in vain, in emptiness, in meaningless, in worthlessness do they worship me. That's how God defines taking on outward acts without an inner reality. It's all worthless. It's meaningless to me. Now, if you were to read the five or six verses leading up to that, what has happened is the Pharisees have, have, have come to Jesus and they're, they're a little angry with him. This is not the first time. It's not the last time. And they're angry at him. Are you ready for this? Because he's not washing his hands right. 
Now, when I say washing his hands, right, that's not quite fair because we think of our mom sending us to the sink to wash our hands before dinner, right? And that's not what this is about. In the Jewish faith, there was this, there was a ritual washing. And for you and I to understand that you almost have to think about these ritual washings the same way you and I might think about baptism. It's a holy moment. It's an important moment. It's a sacred moment. It's a, a part of being made right with God. And, and so they had a, a series of things they were to do and, and they believed this made them right with God. It made them holy. And then they see Jesus and the disciples and they're not honoring the tradition. They're not washing right. And, and they come up and say, hey, you're not, this isn't right. You're not okay with God. And Jesus says to them, you must be outside your mind. You have got to be kidding me. Look how, look how clean your hands are. Look how well you've washed them. Why inside your hearts could not be more filthy, more disgusting, and more uncomfortable for God to be in the presence of. That's churchianity, folks. It's doing some things on the outside to tell ourselves that we're okay and I've done some God stuff today while not a thing has changed on the inside nor do we have any interest in anything changing on the inside. And what does Jesus say about that activity? That makes you a hypocrite. It makes your life a lie. And all that activity, all your churchianity, it's, it's in vain. It's empty. It's worthless before God. Now folks, this is a massive idea here. Because this is our nature. This is our tendency. I don't really want to stop lying. I don't really want to stop lusting. I don't really want to stop stealing. I don't really want to stop living for myself. But I do want to look like I'm okay with God. And I do want to feel like I'm okay with God. So can you just, is there like a building I can go to, sit in it for a bit, and, and what are some activities I can, okay, did it, I'm good. Nothing changes. Now, we got a sacrament, baptism, Lord's Supper. Some denominations add some others. What happens is as church history begins to, to move forward, and I don't, I don't know that somebody did this on purpose. I don't know that the church did this on purpose. But what happens is these sacraments begin to be communicated in a way that people begin to see only value in the outer part. They begin to think, I'm made holy, I'm made right with God by doing these outward things. And, and of course, a, a, a portion of the church sees this and says, hey, that's not right. You're, you're, you're leading people to put their trust in the sacraments instead of Christ. And yet, that's exactly what was going on. And this is where the, the word sacrament changes its meaning. And the word sacrament comes to mean conferring grace. Okay, what's that mean? It means when I do this thing, I go to confession, I, I get baptized, I take the Lord's Supper, I, you know, I get last rites, grace is conferred in my life. Now, if you would imagine, and, and it's a rough illustration, but it really does picture what I think is a works salvation. If you'd imagine, I'm, I'm on the one-yard line, and, and heaven is a touchdown, okay? I got 99 yards to go to get myself into heaven. I guess that would make this end zone hell. I don't know. So, I'm working my way. Okay, I'm, I, I did something good today. I, I helped somebody. I said something nice, okay? So, I, I move yard. 
next day I cuss somebody out. Whoop, <laughs> fumble, I'm back a yard, all right? Okay, so this, this back and forth, I mean, trying to be good, trying to be bad, where it, it, how do you measure that, you know? I, I do, do two good things and then I'm back three things. Ah, but now the church is offering me some sacraments. And so now I go up to church and I take this sacrament. Grace is conferred in my life. Man, that's like moving the ball five yards. That, that's like a 15-yard pass downfield. Man, I'm really moving the ball. To say that it confers grace, it's like salvation is being deposited in my life. And you see what I'm describing is a work salvation. And that's why a portion of the church began to say, hey, this isn't right. You're not communicating faith in Christ. You're communicating faith in these church activities. And people are going to begin thinking, hey, as long as I do these church activities, I'm going to keep moving the ball forward and ultimately I'll, I'll get saved. And so then you have a group of the, uh, in the church, and, uh, of which ultimately our strain kind of comes from, that uses the word ordinance. Now, there's next, nothing actually wrong with sacrament. Sacrament's a good word. You don't have to fear that. Somebody says, oh, we, we did a sacrament yesterday. Don't look at them like they're the devil, okay? Sacrament's a fine word. The problem is what it began to practically mean and how it practically got used. And so to be clear that there was a break from understanding it that way, a, a portion of the church began to use the word ordinance, Okay, whereas a sacrament was a way of conferring grace on your life, an ordinance was a way of expressing faith to God. As we come to baptism, we're expressing our faith, our faith in Christ and what he's done already inside my life. And now this outward act symbolizes or at the Lord's table. Folks, I don't know what you got going on this week. And I, I seriously doubt that, that being able to work through ordinance and sacrament is gonna, what's going to change this week for you. But the idea of what we're talking about is huge. The, the idea of what we're talking about is absolutely central to your faith. You know, for, for a lot of us, we, we, came, we had a point in our life where we came to Christ, Right? Might have been at vacation Bible school 27 years ago. It might have been just a, a couple of weeks ago in a, in a church service. Maybe we were at a coffee shop talking with a friend and they shared the gospel with us and it all finally clicked and, and, and we made that decision to, to come to Christ and we think of that moment of putting our faith and trust in Christ, relying on His grace. And we make it an event, this thing we do one time in our lives. Now, what is an event is getting saved. At that moment, I'm saved. At that moment, I'm a child of God. Salvation is not a process. It's not working 99 yards down the field. But the process of trusting uh, in God's grace is every single day. Every day we're clinging to His grace. Every day we realize, I come to God through faith. When I sing, I am a friend of God, I'm not saying I'm a friend of God because of how well I live this week, and man, what a blessing it must be for God to have me as a friend, because I, I live so much like Him this week, and I'm a friend of God by His grace, and I trust that I can be a friend because He offered that, not because of something I bring to the table. And so see, this is the idea by what we're celebrating in these symbols or trying to avoid in these symbols. Our faith is not in the symbols. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. Now, you know, I, I said a moment ago, we rarely land on dead center right on anything in life. If you think, man, I tell you what, I've nailed it on this. I'm just plain right. Really doubt yourself on that. 
Yeah, I mean, we're, maybe we're only an inch off. Sometimes we're miles off, but we're, we're swinging. We're swinging to the right. We're, we're swinging to the left. And, you know, I certainly think, hey, the denomination and the church and the theology I picked, it is absolutely dead on right. That's why I picked it. But, you know, I think some in our camp, because we're so fearful of maybe treating it like the folks in the sacrament camp, I think sometimes we don't always pay enough attention to, to baptism and the Lord's Supper. I don't think we give it enough weight because we're trying to downplay that, uh, you know, we don't get to heaven this way. You know, so why we say, oh, this side, now their problem, see, their pendulum is swung over. They're putting too much weight. They're putting a value in there that's not there. But then what do we do? We swing the other way and say, oh, no, we don't want to put any value in it at all. Hey, you know what? Jesus gave us these symbols. Jesus, that's, that's like our Savior and our God, Right? That's like the one we love more than anything else. I mean, Jesus gave us baptism. Mark chapter 3 and a a host of other passages. He gave us the Lord's Supper. Luke 22, a host of other passages. And he didn't give us these things to save us. But boy, he sure did give us these things to celebrate that we're saved. To celebrate the God who saved us. And to do that together. Do you realize the power of these symbols is in what we do together? I would actually say there's no biblical example. There's no biblical encouragement for for you to go home today and say, you know what, I just want to kind of have a special moment with God. I think I'm going to put my own little Lord's Supper together and and have the Lord's Supper today. I don't know if I'd say that's a sin. I wouldn't say that's necessarily wrong. I'd say there's no point in it. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with going home today and saying, man, I want to have a moment with God. I'm going to get in his word. I'm going to get in prayer. I'm going to sing. I'm going to worship. However you might do it. I would just say the Lord's Supper is not this. That's not what that symbol was given to us for. It's not something I do alone. Now, baptism, you say, well, now that, that's, a, that's a personal decision, right? That, I mean, that person walks through those waters. We saw Addison a few moments ago. I mean, that was her personal decision to come to faith in Christ, Right? And now she's taking on this this outward symbol. But as she professes her faith in Christ, an individual, she does that with the faith community. It loses so much to do that all by herself. You know what? I came to Christ today. I'm going to go home, get in the tub, and there we go. I'm done. No, that's not the meaning. There's no value in that. The value is in the faith community. This is what we do together it's what rallies us in the same way folks i mean to to me the most vivid picture is, is the american flag and i'm not a soldier and i haven't been on the battlefield but in the way that at least the movies portray in the way that i've heard that that flag would rally soldiers that that flag would lead soldiers as they see that flag as they fight for that flag on the field of battle folks that's what lord's supper that's what baptism has been given to you and me it's to rally the team it brings us all together and what we're going to see in the next week or two is not just what it means when it's happening in my life and what we do, but how we're to use these things to come together. Man, we're, we're, we're Team Jesus, right? So what are we supposed to do with this? Okay, it's, it's time to go. We need to wrap up the service and go home. So what do we, I'm going home now. What do I do with this? I mean, I did a lot of messages. Okay, this is what I need to do this week. Okay, this is how I'm to apply the word of God this day. But what do you, what do, you do with this message? Well, maybe it's 
Maybe it's just some introspection. Maybe we ask ourselves some questions about the inner reality. Is there an inner reality to why I entered this building today? Is there an inner reality when my lips praised Jesus today? What about when I was baptized? What, what, what was happening then? I don't know how long back you have to remember. It's 34 years for me. 34 years ago when I was baptized, what, what was happening? Was there an inner reality being expressed there? Had I, Randy, died to my sin and died to self and given my life to a new life in Jesus Christ? You know, I actually remember that very clearly because I had actually been baptized 36 years ago. 36 years ago, I was sitting in church and man, I believed in God. I believed in church stuff. I mean, that, yeah, I, I sign up for all that. That sounds good. And, and our family had, had come into a, a, a Southern Baptist church like this and we came down to join and, and they said we needed to be baptized, that that's what Jesus did and we need to follow his example. I, Jesus sounds cool to me if that's what he says and I, I'll do that. And, and so I got baptized. Our whole family got baptized that day. It was a neat moment, a good family moment, right? It was an important day in the life of our family. It was, meaning, it was meaningful to my parents, I think, that we all did that together. It was just an incredible moment. There was just one minor detail. It was not an inner reality for me. Wonderful church moment, but not an inner reality. And I realized that two years later. I realized, hey, wait a minute, I'm doing a lot of church stuff and looking like a church person, but I'm not a... I'm not an actual follower of Christ. There's never been a place in my life where I turn from my sin and self and I call Jesus the Son of God, my Savior and my Lord, and turn to Him. And so I did that. I did that 34 years ago, and then I got baptized again. Because the Scripture gives us an order. I mean, if the Scripture cared to give an order to how this is done, then we should care enough to follow that order, Right? And it didn't say get baptized and then become a believer. It said become a believer. Let the inner reality be there and then show that in baptism. What was going on when you were baptized? Not asking if you're a church person. I'm not asking if you're a good person. I'm not asking if the people around you all think you're wonderful and, and saved and would be shocked. Is there an inner reality there? What about when you're at the Lord's table? Are you there celebrating what God has done in your life? Or are you there doing some activity hoping it means God's doing something in your life? Hoping that maybe God would be okay with you if you ate this stuff and drank it. What's the inner reality? See, that's, that's a pretty big deal. Whether talking about our ordinances and sacraments is a big deal, I don't know. But, but that inner reality, that, that's a huge deal. Because that inner reality is determining whether I'm actually a child of God. Whether my life and activity is in vain. Or can actually mean something and count for something. And actually worship Him. Not just in this building, but in everything I do. And in, and in everywhere I go. You know, folks, one... Part of understanding these, and I think the part that excites me as we move forward in these next two weeks, and I, I know I keep going back to this, but I, I hope what we're going to see is, you know, that excitement I get, and I'm a little over the top, I'm a little out of balance, I'm just confessing to you that now, but that excitement I get when I see that Bronco, or I see that ATM, and I'm not talking about the cash machine, but the Texas A&M, I mean, when I see these folks, that, that excites me, that, you know, 
That's my team. That, that's my team. And guess what? I love people who love my team. Right? Folks, that's what Jesus has given us in the Lord's Supper and baptism. When we come to this moment, man, we're celebrating Team God. And we love people who love Team God, right? It should bond us and it should build something in us and it should build a sense of excitement as we come to these moments. Yes, yeah, certainly we're going to discuss the spiritual ideas behind them and what's happening. But I think too often we forget, hey, we're a team and God's given. I, it, hard to make baptism or Lord's Supper a, 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 a logo or something we put on a hat or a piece of jewelry. But folks, it's the rallying point nonetheless. These are things we rally around because we're team God. Amen? Amen. We'll come back next week, see how baptism helps us do that. And then we'll look the next week at Lord's Supper. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for baptism. Thank you for Lord's Supper. God, thank you for some things that you give us that remind us we're not alone. We don't follow you alone. We follow you as a family. We follow you together. We follow you connected. And God, I pray for me, for us, for our church, that there really would be a sense of excitement, a sense of passion, a sense of connectedness between the baptized ones, between the ones who share at the Lord's table. It's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.